What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with what will be a very swift intro. We're getting into the second half of our Western Conference podcast where Grant and I um, delivered our biggest question for each team. We try to talk ourselves through it. We did the Dallas Mavericks, Denver Nuggets, Golden State Warriors, Houston Rockets, LA Clippers, Los Angeles Lakers, and Memphis Grizzlies in the first podcast. We have the Minnesota Timberwolves, New Orleans Pelicans, New Orleans Pelicans, excuse me, Oklahoma City Thunder, um, Portland Trailblazers, Phoenix Suns, Sacramento Kings, San Antonio Spurs, and Utah Jazz in this podcast. Check out the first part if you haven't already. I hope you enjoy this one. And very quickly, just subscribe to us if you haven't done it already. If this is your first time checking us out via podcast, Spotify, Apple, throw us the permanent sub and a rating and a review. Shout us out on Twitter. Retweet our promos. Word of mouth really helps us as well. If you're watching on YouTube for the first time, please consider hitting that subscribe button, liking the videos, commenting on them to maybe help the algorithm love us back and this community continue to grow. Let's get into our biggest question for every NBA team in the Western Conference. Part two. Uh, We are on to, man, this pace is terrible, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, Look, I have so many questions about, I want to take the low-hanging fruit and go with the vibes, but I think we just have to go with, is the offense going to click? They're 19th. In, in points scored per possession right now. That is not good. 17th in three-point attempt rate and 20th in three-point percentage. Uh, there are, you can expect like some, I'll call them progressions to the mean on this team, but I do think it's like kind of a problem that Jaden McDaniels is sixth in three-point attempts for them. And yeah, he's hitting them at a 36.1% clip, but like you need, if you're going to have him on the floor, like 2.6 three-point attempts per game in nearly 30 minutes is not going to do it for me and you're not playing some of the other guys who you know are going to jack it up um heavy minutes you're also running into some lineup staggering issues where it's okay like we just can't we can't play kyle anderson and rudy gobert together and then the minutes are so when towns and gobert are on the court they have a 104.4 offensive rating which is in the eighth percentile they're shooting 30.8 percent from deep in those minutes when Towns plays without gobert surprise surprise those lineups are shooting and scoring better they're also giving up a 119.4 defensive rating. They've barely been a net positive in those minutes. When Gobert plays without Towns, um, the Timberwolves are minus eight points per 100 possessions with a 104.6 offensive rating, which is again in the eighth percentile. Um, and the defense, by the way, which I found interesting during those minutes was barely average. I think when you look at the lineup context and some of the games that I've seen, uh, there's just they're asking him to do a lot. During those, like, it's not just because Towns is off the floor, but the offense doesn't look like it's humming. And then you're asking Towns to really uplift like a group defensively. And the solution is just, it has to come internally because you can't do anything externally. I guess you could move D'Angelo Russell. I know that some people have made jokes, like, can they make another deal with Utah where they get Mike Conley? And it's just like, I know D'Angelo Russell's expiring and Conley has that, you know, huge partial guarantee next year. I don't think the Jazz are doing it would have to be Conley and I think another salary. Like I don't, they wouldn't do it straight up in my opinion. And D'Angelo Russell, I don't know if he fixes everything. Like Anthony Edwards can talk about, or people can talk about his lack of dunks. And then he can talk about how he likes to play with the floor spaced out. His perimeter shooting has suffered more than his interior volume at least. And so you're counting on him to make, and that's by the way, that's why you make, it's not because you thought towns, and Gobert, first and foremost, we're going to be this dominant Twin Towers pairing. You make the Gobert trade because you believe Anthony Edwards is making the leap that Shea Gilgis-Alexander is making right now. And he's not. 
he's just not. And even if you thought it was going to be a hair below, like, you know, MVP caliber, like you, you were still counting on him to make a leap into top 15, top 25 player territory. And he just hasn't done that yet. And I understand there's warts here. I also wonder how much Carl Anthony Towns missing, um, like so much of training camp in the preseason while he was sick, how that goes into it. But like this team just doesn't have an offensive rhythm or identity. It feels like when you go back and watch a lot of their half court possessions, there's just so much like, well, what is like happening here? And why are they standing around? They can't, they're not getting to the foul line a ton. They're turning the ball over a bunch. And then that is definitely impacting. Look, they are, uh, as we record this, they have, they dropped. There's no way this is accurate. They are. So they're 19th in defense now after being, I know Gobert missed time. So that accounts for, but now they've dropped to 19th in defense. And some of that just comes back to, you know, when you are missing a shot, this is not a team that you're depending on to get back right now. Um, they're 25th in points allowed per possession though, after they make a shot, which is very troubling. I'm just, the offense is not, I, I guess I never expected it to be super seamless, but the town's go barefoot has been more finicky than I ever would have expected. And I'm wondering aside from, okay, Anthony Edwards just eventually makes that huge leap. Like, how are you getting better here offensively? And I, I don't necessarily know the answer. Like Towns has room to play better. I want to make that clear. This isn't just Anthony Edwards fault. I think Gobert has probably been like the one who's had to adjust the least, but also probably because the entire team is adjusting to him rather than necessarily the other way around, just because he's such a specific offensive player. And so I'm, you know, you can officially color me concerned about the Timberwolves uh, offense. Yeah, it's it's weird, too, because you just look at their effective field goal percentage. They're eighth. Right. And 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 based on where they're getting their shots, it, they could be seventh. that those, you know, there's nothing way out of whack there. Um, so it's just and then like that's like shockingly high based on like how it's looked. Right. It's just the the. And how it sounded, because every time you read a, a John Krasinski article, you know, three out of four of them have player quotes that are talking about like, there's just no heart. There's no, you know, we're, there's no, there's no grit. There's no all this like coach speak stuff, but it's like, it's undeniable when you watch Minnesota play that I don't know. Yeah. The, <laughs> are we doing, are we really, I hate to do like the vibe check, but it's just that, that is part of what it feels like. I think if you're, I mean, if you're trying to be solution oriented, the, there just isn't there isn't a fix other than patience and trusting that in all the things that you thought were true three months ago can still be true, which is just that there's so much talent here. It's a big adjustment. Offensively, some of the some of the underlying stuff suggests like, you know, I think we're going to be OK if we you know take care of the ball you know, do some more the offensive rebounding should be better. If you have Gobert in there and there's like size and length, you know, and athleticism across the rest of the roster, stop turning it over so much, which is maybe the first thing you'd point to, you know, they're 23rd right now in turnover percentage. If you're looking for signs that there's an adjustment period and they haven't quite figured it out, nobody's sure where to be, when to move, where to like, that's, that's a sign. I think that that's just true that, that these guys are not comfortable together yet. Um, so yeah, if we put the vibe check aside, I, I, I just, uh, and this is an unsatisfying answer because, you know, we're trying to solve the problem or answer the question, but it's like, there's just, there's enough talent here. It should make sense together the offensively that, you know, 
that this will be a top 10 offense. Like it just, I don't, I, maybe that's, maybe that's like just being too dismissive of some of the stuff we've seen so far, Mm -hmm. but we're also 14 games in. Um, There's a lot of, a lot to go. Uh, And I think Edwards is the one I'm concerned about, to be honest, because the leap feels like it should have happened. And it's, we've seen nothing of the sort. Um, I'm not so so concerned about the dunks because he is getting to the rim about as much as ever. Um, in terms of frequency and percentage of his field goal attempts. Um, it just feels like he should be set up with a great screener now in, in Gobert to get some easy ones. And, and those aren't really materializing. So I'm concerned. I, I just think I just keep coming back to the talent and it's just difficult to integrate someone like Gobert uh, who just, but, it, but Utah had number one offenses all the time with Gobert involved. I just well, they I had they had guys who could hit catch and shoot jumpers, which right now the Timberwolves do not. They're uh, right. they're in the bottom four of catch and shoot effective field goal percentage right now, which is that's really bad. It's very much okay. testing the theory that if you have Carl Anthony Towns, you have a great offense. Just full stop which used to be the case, generally speaking, when he was on the floor. It's like a Trey Young. It's the Trey Young thing. If he's well, they out do there, when Gobert's not on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I, I'm, if this were peace, uh, what is it? Peace or panic, I'd still be preaching peace, but it's it's a concern for sure. Um, We have the New Orleans Pelicans next. We're going to get more specific. Do they need to trade a pick slash picks for a rim protector? Um, it's, you know, there, there's, we've, we talked about, uh, Zion's defense, uh, last time we recorded, I think, um, it's a problem. It's not the only problem. Um, but it's part of a situation where, you know, the opponents are getting to the rim, you know, way too often. I think New Orleans was in the bottom 10, 23rd when I, when I did the stats, uh, but they're making everything. They're shooting 70.4% at the rim. Pelicans opponents are 27th in the league. Um, so yeah, it's Zion. He doesn't stay in front of anybody. He can't navigate a screen. Um, but it's not like, you know, CJ McCollum is some shutdown guy there. It's kind of, you know, anytime we talk about bad rim numbers, it is a lot of the perimeter defense. It's not just the fact that the Pelicans, you know, Valanciunas is not a good rim protector. Larry Nance jr. Is a really good player and he's closing games for them, but he's also not someone that's going to single-handedly clean up all the messes that are happening, uh, in terms of blow buys and stuff. The other trickle down effect is if you're not defending the rim, you're siphoning a bunch of extra bodies down there. Everybody's got a foot in the lane to try to help. And opponents uh, are missing a lot of threes, but they're getting a lot of threes. Uh, So New Orleans right now is top 10 in defense, or it was when I did these numbers. I don't think that's going to last because if you don't solve the rim stuff, you're going to continue to surrender some high value threes um, and they're going to start going in. So then it's like, well, you know, the Pelicans have 10 firsts in the next seven drafts. You could throw together the salaries of, of Devontae Graham, Jackson Hayes. I'd throw Valanchunas in there. I don't think that's going to be your likeliest move, but that's a big number. I think you, you could... just pissed off the entire Pelicans fan base by saying, that. look, I'm trying to fix the team. I'm trying to address a weakness. Garrett Temple too. You, you got like 40 ish, a little less than 40 million in salary. You could piece together. Not saying you should spend all that on a on a rim protector for a team that's really good as it is and might just be like a schematic tweak away from being passable. Uh, you know, are you looking at Miles Turner? Is Yaka Pertle someone you're going to go for? I mean, do you go get Mo Bamba from the Magic and say like, hey, you have full <laughs> anymore? Um, I just think just zooming out, if you're going to finish games or play good teams with Zion 
CJ McCollum and Ingram is Ingram's the best of those three, but he's not perfect. It's hard for guys with his frame to get around screens. He's just, there's just too many limbs that are too long and too easy to catch on a screen. If those are guys are going to be out there, Herb Jones can't guard everybody. Um, and then Valanciunas just isn't a good enough deterrent. So that's why they're playing Nance a lot. It just, I mean, cause you're getting more mobility, more passing, more other stuff to sort of offset. So is, do you, is this now the time? Do you, do you wait? Do you, I mean, they're probably just going to get Wimbanyama when the Lakers pick swaps and it's <laughs> you know, deal with this over the summer, but it's, it's an issue for a really good team. So I think it's worth spotlighting and asking like how you, how you improve this and what you, what you're willing to give up to do it. Do you think Rudy Gobert is available? <laughs> I'd rather have Victor. Um, Look, I'm with you, and I've long been of the mind that they should just go out and get Miles Turner. I think even if you believe Jonas Valanciunas is the better player overall, reasonable to this point, because especially with the ability situation, mm-hmm. Miles Turner is just such a better fit. I'll go out and do it, and it's not going to cost you a premier first-round pick at this point. It's pretty mm-hmm. clear. Just go out and get it done. And then maybe you're sending Jonas Valanciunas somewhere else where you're getting actual value. like for Because I, I think Jonas Valanciunas is a first-round pick. feels a little steep for Miles Turner at this point. Uh, I, I'd just be curious what any Indy might not do it because they're probably waiting to see if the Lakers will go up there too first. I would do it. I would also counter with, do you know what I would try before making a trade? What's that? Giving Zion the ball in the half court and having him run a fucking pick and roll. Yeah, they're not doing it. That's, he, that's done. And they've never done it like absurd volume. And it's the other issue is just like, even give him the ball more in the front court, um, especially when you're trying to bust up zones. Mm-hmm. He is averaging... Well, let's I'll do it this way. 5% of his offensive possessions are coming as pick and roll ball handler uh, touches his last full season, 2020, 2021, that number was closer to 15%. His pick and roll possessions per game. If you want to do it that way, they've been cut. Like they've been thirded Mm -hmm. one point. It was 3.2. Then it's 1.1. Now I know you have CJ. I know you have Brandon Ingram, but like those guys, especially knowing the spots they like to get to on the floor, they're not necessarily the ones that you want to attack like the teeth of those defenses. I think Brandon Ingram's improved enough off the ball where you can prioritize, hey, just give it to Z-. Like, I don't, I'm, the people in charge of New Orleans have forgotten about basketball more than I'll ever know. I recognize that. I don't, I don't want to oversimplify it, but like, hey, give Zion the ball and tell him to go. And look, there are nights where it's, he doesn't look the same, where it's just sort of like, He's bailing out before he gets to the rim or taking these weird tough angled layups. Is it a symptom of, oh, he doesn't look the same? Is he still dealing with the, uh, what do you have, like a hip issue earlier? Is he just not all the way back from his foot injury? Has something materially changed here? Or is this just a matter of underexposure? Like, it's let's do this more. And so I think before you make a trade, I, I this sounds stupid to say because they're ninth in offense, by the way. Like, and you're, we're talking about their defense and their eighth but, defense. But the defense matters a lot less if you get up to first in offense, right? Like, right. you can you can juice the differential that way. Uh, look, but here's the other thing: is that they're 24th. Their half court offense is 14th, but they're 24th in efficiency after they grab their own miss. Hmm. So, like, that's supposed to be. I'm just I'm just saying, like, more of Zion in certain situations, and if if, however, you are concerned about maybe him sort of leveling off offensively a little bit, uh, then you, you go out right now and you you get Miles Turner because it's important, it's imperative that your defense becomes playoff proof. And right now, I'd just be curious to see whether it is. They've had, they've been the team that's had like, maybe not the most ups and downs. It feels like they were on this high to start. We were certainly on a Pelicans high to start the year. And now they've, 
like they dropped and then maybe now they plateaued a little bit. Yeah. Oh, this is me. I'm like waiting. Like, well, what is Grant? What is Grant doing? I have the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, I was going to do the, and we talked about it on the podcast. Should Shea Gilders Alexander be in the MVP discussion? The answer is yes. I understand. There's a certain you need to be like between the top five and a uh, top five and top twelve player. I'm going to let everyone in on a little secret. That's exactly what Shea Gilders Alexander is right now. The Thunder have outscored opponents by 33 total points with him on the court. The Mavericks have outscored opponents by 32 points with Luka Doncic on the court. Those are not perfect comps, but I think you could pretty clearly make the case that Dallas's supporting cast at the top, Dorian Finney-Smith, Christian Wood, Spencer Dinwiddie, is preferable to Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, and Alexei Pokashevsky. However, oh, what, what basketball reference page is going off in the background? Fucking <laughs> basketball reference, adding autoplay ads. Uh, my actual question is, does Alexei Pokashevsky belong in the most improved player discussion? And I'm I'm not trolling. We know how I feel about Poku. Since he's um his last four games after he missed a couple, he is at 14.8 points, two assists, 1.0 steals, 2.5 blocks, shooting 52.9% from three on four plus attempts, and 62.5% on twos. He is contesting a shit ton of shots at the rim. Opponents are shooting under 60% against him at the rim, which in his role. And given his frame is huge. Now, when you watch him, this is me looking at the entire season, not just the last four games. He is so much more complimentary. He understands his body. He understands how he's supposed to be used within the offense. He is active on defense. He's become this reliable floor spacer for them and someone who's going to give you some emergency self-creation. Um, I don't, the, my actual Alexei Pokashevsky question is, we're like, it's not, is he going to be the most improved player discussion? I think Shea is more likely to win it than him. It's do they have another long-term viable? I don't want to say building block, but on the same level as just like, if you view Lou Dort as a keeper, you should view Alexei Pokashevsky as a keeper to this team. Like, is he part of the next good iteration of the thunder? Cause I don't even want to phrase it. Is he more than just this novel concept? I think, look to me, Maybe that is a fair question. I thought we got there at points last year. Like from when he came back in February after he was out of lineup for a little bit, he played really well. But I feel like if you want that to be the question, fine, whoever's listening to this. Like is like Poku feels like like this is a real player for the future for the Thunder is is my question. And I'm it's a weird question to ask because I, I have an answer to it. But like it's one I wanted to phrase to someone who's maybe outside of like my Poku bubble. Yeah, no, that it's a it's a great question. I, th- I think in terms of improvement, when he, when his first year in the league, he was one of the most damaging players anywhere. Like he just, I mean, shot 28% from three, took 4.6 of them per game, shot 34% from the field. Like this guy's playing a rotation slash starting role for parts of his rookie season. Most of which he was 18 years old for, by the way. Uh, so from coming from there to now, like he's a plus defensive player, like, just he's he is a he is a value add on defense and the ball is going in on offense 37% from 3 46 from the field blocking shots uh still playing 24 minutes a game overall but like you said has just been much better i think like and he's he's not 21 yet so he's a plus defender with offensive upside just shy of averaging double figures in scoring uh 
and like is is helpful just 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 there take out like the length take out the man like he's an interesting guy to, as a seven super mobile seven foot guy where do you play him the, the opportunities and potential is you know off the charts theoretically for what types of lineups you could build that involve him especially if he's going to be like a, a major shot blocker just being his age and being a plus defender with his frame is like, absolutely. He's, he's a piece that is a long-term piece there. The only other guy I think, you know, and it's obviously early, I think, you know, Giddy is, is potentially going to be pretty good. I don't see like star upside for him. Um, I think Jalen Williams is really good or is going to be really good. He had a bunch of spot up threes last night uh, off. Believe it or Send not, them to the Timberwolves, they could use that. <laughs> believe it or not, SGA drives. Uh, there were a few of those and he kept generating open wing threes for guys. Um, Williams, I think has the frame to be like a switchable, you know, combo forward slash wing. He has on ball skills. He's a good three point shooter. Um, he, he really had his first, you know, stretch derailed cause he got just nailed in the face and fractured his orbital, I think. And so he's going with the mask right now, but I have a lot of hope for him. Um, but yeah, Poku's he's not, he's 20 years old still. He got another month or so it turns uh, 21 the day after Christmas. Um, and he's like a good, helpful NBA player. And he's not surrounded by a whole lot of like high end NBA talent. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, people are going to say we're just focusing, focusing on, you know, the last little stretch, but I think he's legit. I, I, think, I think he showed it last season. People just weren't sold because it was so roller coaster still. But this how bad he been... was before. I mean, he was bad. Like, yeah. he was but also just like that was the you drafted him sort of knowing that and they've, yeah. they've seemed to show patience i will say there's an alternate reality in which chet holmgren doesn't get injured what does that mean for him this year but i do think now i'm like wow chet holmgren and poku uh up front because it doesn't look like they're going to be in the Wemben yama sweepstakes unless they really you know they have to they have to flip a switch and, and turn it all the way down um but like that look, I don't know how good Chet Holmgren would have been right off the bat. And again, could he have impacted the opportunity Poku's getting now? I'm all of a sudden just like, I might, I'm like, I, Josh Giddy might be the player who I'm like sixth highest on on the Thunder right now. When you look at Dort, Poku, uh, Shea, Chet Holmgren, Jalen Williams, maybe, maybe, maybe that's pushing it. But like, I'm, yeah. I'm infinitely intrigued by, by this team. And I did want to throw in a fun chase that though, really quickly, just because oh, I yeah. think most people who are not Thunder fans might have been expecting to hear about him. There have been 273 players this season who have appeared in at least 10 games. Luka Doncic is the only player with a higher share of his buckets coming unassisted. Meanwhile, Shea's efficiency is just through the roof, which leads me into very quickly the final stat. Among everyone to attempt at least 35 pull-up jumpers, only Steph and KD have higher effective field goal percentage on them. Shea has been a monster. Also, I love that Steph just comes up in like every efficiency yeah. stat. Other than, the other than Steph, uh, except for him. This guy <laughs> That's going to really be my new qualifier. Forget arbitrary like volume benchmarks, except, except for Steph. <laughs> he, so I watched a lot of that Thunder game last night. Um, he's unguardable. Like he's just, you can't, he, you know, this, there's no stat. I mean, except the bazillion drives per game, he's going to lead the league for what the third year in a row now. Um, you cannot stay in front of him. And if you do stay in front of him, you're off balance and he turns around and hits little weird pull-ups that you're talking about. It's just, it doesn't make sense in a, in a league obsessed with three pointers. And he's hit a bunch of big threes this year, but he does not shoot a lot to be able to get to the bucket when everybody knows that's where you want to go. It's just, 
I, I can't remember someone like him, like with his size and frame that could just get to the basket. How, however many times he wants per game. It's unbelievable. Uh, I have the Phoenix suns. So it's a, it's a, I couldn't decide. So I have sort of two questions that are related. So one is, so we can agree that like depth is an issue. Now part of that's injuries. Part of that's crowd or not being there. Um, part of that is maybe they're just going to be generally careful with guys like Chris Paul. So, so do you solve that issue where you're just, you don't want to be pulling guys like I think Dwayne Washington had 21 points last night out of nowhere. You don't want to be relying on that. Right. So you need just more production from people not named Devin Booker. Um, so is it a trade that makes sense to upgrade the depth or, and this is something I've been kind of fixated on for a couple years. Can we just ask a little more from Mikhail Bridges? Because he's been really, so his assists are up, right? So we'll talk about the trade in a second because you're better at that stuff than I am. But for Bridges, he, you know, he adds little bits every year. I'm sure you and I have talked about like, oh, he can put it on the floor once or twice and get to a pull up. Um, his assist rate has grown. He's in the 73rd percentile this season. That's good. 4.3 per game going into last night. That's also good for a wing. But he just is still, you watch him and it, it's almost never the case. Like none of his threes are self-generated. Very few of his twos have been self-generated just for his whole career. And that hasn't changed this year. And when he gets the ball, he's looking to move it. He's not looking to, to get in his bag, which normally that's great. But on a Suns team where you might start to need some of that, it'd be interesting to just kind of let him explore the space. 1.16 dribbles per touch, which like without context, that's hard to look at. But just understand that on the Suns, there are a lot of guys that have no business dribbling more than that, that dribble more than Bridges does. You know, the guys are up around four, you know, you know, the Harden and Russ outliers are way up there. But, you know, Booker, Booker, Paul, sure. But Bridges, I think, I think has more. And I don't know if it's fair to ask him to like tap into it now, because that probably won't be his role when the Suns are whole. It would still be nice. So, is it, do you look to him? Do you look to someone else? Aiton, I think has been kind of disappointing. Maybe it's him. Or do you just go, all right, we got to go get Max Struess or we got to go get Eric Gordon, Harrison Barnes. See if the Pistons are ready to finish the, the stopover for Bogdanovich. I just, you know, nobody, nobody's like hoping to trade a Crowder type, like a combo forward that can score and do a little bit. Um, but the Suns have to, especially with Cam Johnson out. So do you go that route? Do you give up some assets to do that? Or do you wait for guys to come back and hope you get some internal improvement? And I, I don't know the answer. I think Bridges is capable of more, but you also, you got to do something with Crowder too. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, the thing with Bridges and I love Mikhail Bridges and I somehow still think he's underappreciated on defense, but that's not the discussion here. I he's wonder if He's been maxed out. He's been at over 17 points per game over his past four. He's ratcheted up his scoring and aggression basically since Cam Johnson went down, which is good. I just, it gets to a point where to expect him to be a lot more offensively is almost unfair. And I think Cameron Payne has done a good job stepping up since the Cam Johnson injury for them. And a big thing with Phoenix is they don't look deep on paper and they're definitely shallower at the top of the roster. But like their bench has, like they've had players really step up for them. Now, with all of that said, the answer to me is not DeAndre Ayton anymore. I'm more out on him offensively than I am Mikael Bridges. And I'm not out on either of them. They're both really good players. I do think the ship is sailed on both being anything more than situate. Like, 
they're really good offensive players who are just not going to be self-starters and or consistent self-starters. And that's that's fine. So you need to make the trade. The issue with them is I don't even know what Crowder's value is. And even given, like, let's say you're trading, let's say Crowder had a better close to the year last season. Who are you getting for Jay Crowder? This right. is a situation where you need to give up first and other salary to really make a splash. And to do that, I think you do need to wait for the trade market to develop. Like, yeah, could you maybe get Julius Randle from the Knicks for no first round picks and just salary filler? Sure. But I, you know, I know Sam Cooper, the timeline podcast, who that podcast is fantastic is I feel like he's borderline joked about Julius Randle in Phoenix, but he's also been kind of intrigued by it. That's something you joke about. <laughs> and if I'm the Suns and I've seen Julius Randle play more, I don't want to say play, put play in air quotes defense this season. I want him all the way away from my team yeah. at the moment. So you have to wait for the trade market to develop, and that's just tough right now. Um, and I just feel like you can't make the slapdash trade. And even if you were willing to go the route of, and he's banged up right now, but I identified Cody Martin as probably a really good pickup for this team. He's not trade eligible yet. And so you are getting to a point where you have to probably have to wait to the middle of the year. Are they good enough to weather that storm, depending on how much time CP3 misses on top of Cam Johnson, on top of not having Jay Crowder? I don't know. I think, though, they're sort of in this weird position where the trade market's not conducive to making a move. You can't rush into anything because, look, you do have to evaluate this against the backdrop of what's going to happen with Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. So if you are going to make a trade, you probably shouldn't. Now is not the time to trade the distant first-round picks unless it's a no-brainer. If all no. of a sudden... I don't, even, I don't even know who the answer is because I don't want to throw a name out there and people get pissed. Yeah, if if Shea was available, which he is not because he is the Thunder's timeline, yes, absolutely. But, like, it gets harder if it's, okay, Gary Trent Jr. is available in Toronto. Like, are you going to want to give up more than just your first-round pick this year for him? No, because you probably want to wait out the KD situation or other situations. So you could lean further, I guess, into, like, well, do you try and get, like, a, just a defensive pickup and we're just going to slaughter opponents that way, like add another wing type, like a J, like another Jay Crowder type who's better than Jay Crowder? Sure. I do think they're in this, like, weird spot where they almost have to wait out the market. I would say the one name that's been mentioned a bunch of times, and I'd just be curious what the, the opportunity cost is to get him, like, does Eric Gordon, is he, like, the nice middle ground where it's if you're not – you're getting him maybe without giving up a first-round pick at this point – uh, if or it's a first round pick, I'm not doing the it. shit out of it. Like, you know, to make sure it's not really going to kill you. So it's a fake first rounder. I, I mean, that's, yeah. I, I just want to, sorry to jump back in, but like, this isn't a knock on bridges at all. It's not like I'm saying he's underachieving. I think we both are about as high on him as we can be on a, on a role playing guy, but like just looking the stats that do it for me are, you know, he's been, he's his true shooting percentage is 64.5% this year. Over 60 is like, you're a superstar. Now, the problem is his usage rate is 15.7%, and it's basically hovered from 12 to 15 for his whole career. Let's just like bump that to like 22%, and you can have a 59% you know, true shooting, and suddenly you're a 20-point scorer on above league average efficiency. You know, that's not that's not the way forward for the Suns as like a championship threat, because you know, you've got Booker, you've got Paul, you've, you're gonna have other options, but like for now. I don't know. I think, I, I think he's got it in him. I think he could do it. I, I just maybe. And again, sorry, you have to also guard the best guy on the other team <laughs> all night too, but we just need you to get us 20 as well. Like I get it. That's a lot, but I just think, I, I think he's that good. It's, I just wonder if he's wired that way. And it's, no, also, he's not. That's obvious. He's not of all their perimeter players. This includes, I'm talking I'm all of them, like people who have the ball, people who don't, he puts more rim pressure than anyone else. 
I think 40% of his looks this year are coming at the rim. Just so much of that stuff is happening away from the ball. And yeah. I would say that like a Cam Johnson or Cameron Payne, even a Torrey Craig sometimes is more wired to get to the basket with the ball in their hands already, not off like cuts, off ball movement than a Mikael Bridges is. And that's not, I think Mikael Bridges is a fantastic player. Like he might be a top 50 player in the NBA, which is really hard to do. I'm just curious whether he's, he's wired that way. And I, I don't know who the trade target is. I understand why you'd want to wait it out, but just the, a lot of it's going to depend on one, when does Chris Paul come back? And two, what does he look like? Because we've seen the scoring and shooting regression from him been fine as a passer. Uh, so I, it's a, it's a huge question for them. And I don't, I don't have a perfect answer. Surprise, surprise. That's the whole nature of this exercise. We are on to the Portland trailblazers. And my question for them is this. We, I was wrong about them. I called them. I, I like, I smashed their under. They are 10th in points allowed per possession. Is this for real? And when you look at their expected field goal percentage based off where they allow their shots, they are 29th right now in the league. And so that's despite them having a top 10 defense. Uh, They allow too many looks at the rim. They're 27th there. And then they are in the bottom six in the share of opponent shots coming from three. And then you're like digging into, okay, well, have they gotten lucky anywhere? Uh, they're 10th in rim protection, which is just like, okay. They've also, they're 18th uh, in three-point, like opponent three-point percentage and 22nd when you're looking at above the break. So like they haven't, opponents are shooting 37.1% on non-corner threes. That number is not lucky, I would say. Uh, they've gotten where they've gotten the, if you want to say the luckiest, teams are not hitting any of just their in-between looks against Portland. They're at 34.6% on short mid-rangers, 37.4% on log mid-rangers, and they're shooting, I guess you could say 36% on corner threes feels a little bit uh, like lucky, like that number will go up. So it's just, I, I, my answer is I don't know. What I do think helps them is, and I'll throw it to you, is they have more athleticism just on the perimeter in general. When you look at this team and how they are defending with the players, with like Jeremy Grant, a Josh Hart there, even like Shane Sharp has done this a bit. I also think you've seen it more from Anthony Simons and, and Damian Lillard as well. Not to say those guys are good defenders, but when they've been playing, I do think aesthetically it looks a lot better for them. Um, they are like, they are going to make it a point to get set after they make a shot on offense. Like that is the, they're not sort of like just lollygagging their way back. And that's where I think their defense has just done just a really good job. And I also think even when they're missing a shot, like when you're looking at a Josh Hart, when you're looking at a Jeremy Grant, like those are guys who are willing to get back. And I think Lillard and Anthony Simons have done a lot better in that situation too. They're able to slow down their opponents, even when they don't have the most efficient, like uh, defensive stances there. So they're at least forcing opponents to burn through more of the shot clock, even though Portland just missed a shot of their own. I think that's important. You still look at the personnel, some of the what the bench mobs have done, Justice Winslow at center, and you just wonder. You just wonder, is this... It's not the entire season. I think what they've done on offense, where they are, like, they, they've underachieved, quite frankly, to me, on offense. Now, how much does that have to do with, like, Damian Lillard missing time? I, you know, I don't know. But 19th in points scored per possession is not where... You would expect this to be flip-flopped, at the very least. 19th in defense, 10th in offense. Is the defense real? It's one of the weirdest uh, sort of shot distribution slash accuracy puzzles to put together. Uh, Because like you said, there's not anything, 
you know, it's really easy if, oh, this defense has been top five, but opponents are making 26% of their threes. It's like, well, okay, then that's not going to last there. So some of, yeah. And some of the outlier shooting stuff is in the mid range, which is sort of like, who cares as long as you're like, it's not, there's just aren't generally high value shots. Anyway, I think, I think it's hard for me to imagine the Blazers finish the season with a defense that is one better than league average. And two, I think just based on, and so then it's like, I'm just looking at where the shots are that they're surrendering. And then, you know, so like you said, they give up a huge share at the rim, 27th in opponent rim frequency, 24th in opponent three point frequency, just where are the shots coming from? So like nothing has to get too wonky for the current defensive ranking and defensive rating to come down just those shots will just go in at league average rates it's not like you know teams need to heat up which could totally happen too right like the shooting just could be way better so they feel like a like a 20th ranked defense to me like 15 to 20 feels like about right which is like you know that's going to come down but i think like you said the offense is going to be better interesting i think so the, the, I think of the Blazers and the Nuggets off seasons as somewhat similar because they both basically added like two defense first guys. Jeremy Grant's more than that, but between and Peyton hasn't played. So maybe that's another factor is you get Peyton out there a little bit more. Maybe some of that defensive stuff really does look more sustainable and they generate turnovers and all that stuff. I, if it's like a buy or sell Portland's defense, I have to sell it. Um, but I think, I think like, there's a chance, I guess, that they're league average, but it's not. They're not. They're not this good. I. I, I don't see that. I. I honestly don't know. I'm not going to bet yeah. against them being league average at this point, though. Yeah. Right. That which for for Portland historically that'd be great. Like that, if you're outside of the bottom five, that's they just great. have all these like really rangy wings and perimeter players now. All of a sudden, yeah. after not having that for so long, they are way more athletic than I can than I can remember. Like in any of the Lillard era teams, for sure. There's just more bounce, more speed, more all that kind of stuff. Um, this is a good, uh, contrast to go into my team, uh, which is the Sacramento Kings. And so like the only question you can ask is, is the streak going to end the longest playoff drought in the league? Uh, you know, this, they've been gunning for like the 10th seed, the eighth seed would be great, but they've been gunning for that forever. It's a win now organization. They've sacrificed future picks. They traded Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, so like, it really matters. This is the only thing that matters is, are they going to be a playoff team? Is the streak going to be over? And you look at, so answering that is not just like a yes or no. For me, the question that most informed that going into this year is how's the defense going to be better? Because the offense is good. Like it's, it's legit. I think you got Kevin Herter could do way more with the ball than he was allowed to do with the Hawks. And he's an awesome secondary playmaking type. De'Aaron Fox is about as good as he's ever been right now. Um, Sabonis and Herter are working great together. Sabonis is a very good offensive player. My thoughts on him, I think, are pretty well chronicled. Is like he can't be a major piece of a team that wins in a meaningful way just because of defense and doesn't stretch the floor. But like the offense will be good. Malik Monk is inefficient but brings a ton of energy and is like just a just the right kind of guy to lead second units and kind of keep you in games and like win you a couple. Mm -hmm. Um, so and Keegan Murray can shoot it. He's been cold. He's hit the mini rookie wall. Harrison Barnes will shoot it better offense. Good defense. So getting back to the Portland thing. So the Kings right now are allowing an effective field goal percentage of 56.7%, which is 29th in the league. That's bad. Based on the shots they're allowing, 
they should be sixth in effective field goal percentage allowed, which is wild. Um, most of that is because they don't let you shoot threes and their rim protection has been okay. Like when you get to the rim against Sacramento, there's not a lot of resistance, but they're being, you know, fringe top 10, middle of the pack and just keeping you away from the rim. And they're like top five in terms of forcing opponents to take mid rangers. So like all that Mike Brown stuff, that's Mike Brown has come in as a head coach. He's changed the types of shots they're allowing defensively. It seems like the defense should be real, or, but I just like cannot get over you're you're centering your defense around Sabonis in the middle. Keegan Murray's a rookie. De'Aaron Fox has, has not defended consistently at all since he was a rookie and was like the hungry rookie thing, like generating steals, that kind of thing. This Her, has probably been his best defensive year since his rookie season, though. Right. Which, is which, happens, which happens a lot. Like a guy comes in and scraps and then realizes he's good and then like doesn't happen. So the, the scrapping kind of goes away. He's been better. Uh, so I think I have to answer my own question and I'm putting it off cause I don't want to say this, but I don't think the streak ends this year. Um, mm. I don't think it does. I think Not even would you, so you don't count the play in as the streak ending. No, 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 no. You okay. gotta, the plan is not, it doesn't matter. So like, if you're just going down the list of the teams, they got to finish ahead of Houston Lakers Spurs. Cool. Like, I think that's, that's realistic but they have to be better than both the thunder and the jazz. And we're just talking playing. I don't think whatever, I mean, the, I just don't see if it was one or the other fine. Um, but then we're still just talking playing. We're not talking actually making the playoffs. So I don't think the streak ends. And I think it's just because their defense is uh, it, it's going to be better uh, because of the shot locations they're allowing, but it's still like, is this more than a, bottom five, like bottom seven defense. I don't know. And then you need the offense to be like two or three. And I just, I'm not sure that kind of upsides there. I think that's fair. They're allowing 70% shooting at the rim and 39% shooting from three. I can't tell the rim protection makes sense when you look at the lineups that they're playing. Yeah. No, Uh, I think some of it is Sabonis is the main culprit on rim accuracy, opponent rim accuracy, but it's like, Sometimes, you know, like we just talked about Pokashevsky blocking almost two shots a game. Sometimes if you have like some wings or some rangier guys that can come in and help out, you know, weak side stuff, Murray's not that guy. Barnes isn't that guy. I mean, Davion Mitchell plays harder on defense than everybody, but he's not, he's the last guy that's going to affect shots at the rim. So I just, I, I, I hate to say it, but I don't see it. Who's the second best defender on this team? If we're just going to presuppose, well, it's not presuppose, but like Davion Mitchell is number one. I will say, look, to their credit, like the Fox, Herder, Barnes, Murray, Sabonis lineup has actually, it has like, is only allowing, it's 100.8 points per 100 possessions. So like that's in the 80th percentile. So at least their top end lineup has succeeded there. But like you look at this team and it's, is like, it's certainly not Harrison Barnes this year. I think you, like, is it Terrence Davis? He's looked, yeah, but he just doesn't play a ton. I think, I think Monk has actually had some like really disruptive minutes, but he's not like a, hold the fort defender. He's just playing harder on both. Ends. You don't say, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is it, is it just Harrison? Harrison Barnes has had like the worst start to a season ever, but at least you sort of know he'll be in the right place, which is a, a, a low bar. But I mean, there's just, there just aren't defenders on this team. I mean, Fox- to me, like, do I think the Kings might pivot into another like quick tank and run this group back by trade, like trading Harrison Barnes. It's like trading Harrison Barnes might be anti-tank at this point. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and no, they will not to, <laughs> could go to ever. That's not happening. So and I, I don't know. So I don't have an answer here. either. I don't know what their pathway towards internal defensive improvement is. And I don't know. They already gave up a first round pick in the herder trade, which is fine because it's inoculated against disaster, but that does make it harder to go out and pull off another trade. Now what they could do is we already talked about this team is if you're willing to take back like a salary that maybe Phoenix doesn't want, you get Jay Crowder as part of that equation, replace him with place Harrison Barnes with him. Your defense is upgraded. I don't know how much better you get. Uh, I also like is land. I guess Landry Shamit and you want another guy who chucks threes and right. they got enough of those types. Undersized Jay Crowder for Harrison Barnes. Like, is that the move? I, I mean, I might consider if I'm Sacramento, given how inconsistent slash poorly Barnes has played. How sure. Like, if you said to me, you got a you got a bet on either Harrison Barnes or Jay Crowder. Who's going to be better? Like starting today. I don't know if it's a no brainer that Crowder's better for sure. Like if you if end of season stats. Yeah. But because Barnes's start has been so bad, but I, I think mean, defensively, the answer is pretty clearly Crowder and this team doesn't have to concern itself with offense. That's yeah. Right. That's fair. That's fair. Let's move on to the San Antonio Spurs. My question is not, uh, since I kind of already tackled that in another podcast is not, is Keldon Johnson an all-star I don't think we need to dig too much deeper into their bigger picture. Just we need more samples from, you know, they tried Jeremy Sowen uh, at point guard, basically against the Warriors. Uh, that, that was fun, went, by the way. That went about as well. Yeah, for super fun for the Warriors. I will, however, say, did we undersell how good the highest end outcome for Devin Vassell? And this is as someone who thought Devin Vassell was really good. And so I want to make it clear. I don't mean this in the sense that I think he, or even Keldon Johnson, for that matter, is going to run an offense. But Devin Vassell this season, 19.5 points, 41.1% three-point shooting on 7.3 attempts. Doesn't get to the foul line a ton, but he's averaging 3.5 assists per game. And once they traded Derek White last year, his you know the, the number of ball screens that they sent his way went up. And it's definitely the case again, this season uh when you look at his possessions 27.2 percent are coming as the pick and roll ball handler there are 46 players who finish at least five pick and roll possessions as the ball handler per game right now that's you know fairly substantial Devin Vassell ranks fourth in points per possession here at 1.12 only in front of him are Tyler Hero Donovan Mitchell and guess who Steph Curry. Steph Curry. We're not going to mention him anymore. I thought some other guy. <laughs> yes. Um. So I'm looking at the way he's playing, and it'd be cool if you could get more on-ball rim pressure from him. I think he's someone who can move away from the ball. But this is someone who, when we really start to talk about it, did we give him a Mikael Bridges, like higher than Mikael Bridges ceiling? I mean, I think we gave him the ceiling of Mikael Bridges, but he is doing more with ball screens than probably Mikael Bridges ever had. A lot of that could be opportunity. I know the way that the Suns were built. But did we undersell how good Devin Vassell might be? I for, I, I'll speak for myself. I absolutely did. I, I just thought I, – I slapped the three, you know, the three and D label, emphasis on the three. He seemed like a catch-and-shoot type earlier in his career. You know, you'd see flashes occasionally. But, like, again, so this is the first year of his career. and His role has – demonstrably changed this season and it's because he's capable of it 
but he's only uh, his two point baskets, right? First two years, basically two thirds of them were assisted this year. 41% of them are assisted. So that ties into the pick and roll accuracy, which what you're seeing a lot of is he's a deadly mid range shooter this year, 53.3%, 10 to 16 feet between 16 and the three point line, 58.8%. And he's shooting like a decent percentage of his shots from that range. So what that's telling me is if he's getting around a screen, he's totally fine being the guy that takes one dribble and pulls up. And, and like, yeah, we, we just talked about like shot location data for team defense and how, you know, if you get a team to take a pull-up mid-range shot, like pretty good defensive possession, that's not true for Devin Booker. That's not true for, you know, any number of Steph Curry, CJ McCollum. There's, it's not true for certain guys that are going to make that shot. And Vassell looks like he's going to be that guy. Um, which is, which is just wild to me. And like you, you said his, his, his numbers, I mean, he's only playing 30.9 minutes per game. If you go to per 36, he's like 23, five and four, and he's 22 years old. So there's his age 22 season. He just turned 22 before the year. Like I, we could get our basketball reference filters out if we wanted to, but like, I'll take, I'll take that per 36 from a guy who's also suddenly just showing that he can be an on ball threat. Um, I think it's fair. Like I'm really high on Keldon Johnson. I think it's a question. I think it's a question of which of those two, you know, do you, Johnson's been the team USA. He's kind of, I think been regarded as the more productive or higher, you know, ceiling guy. I'm, I'm willing to have a conversation now and Vassell for sure. I think this year Johnson's scoring more, but what we've seen from Vassell is like, Oh, he's, he's a different kind of player than, than we thought he was, which I think is the question you're asking. I think for sure we, we sold him short. Uh, and he's just gotten way better. You know who I'm wondering if he could become, and I think Bradley Beal. No, okay, wow. Uh, there's only <laughs> oh, can he become Chris Middleton? Ooh, that's fun. I like that. I, I'm wondering if he if that's too high because I don't. I think one, Chris Middleton is ridiculously good, and people still kind of undersell it. I think his last contract had a lot to do with that, which is just stupid. When I look at Chris Middleton, I'm like, okay, that dude can anchor offensive units entirely on his own. We don't know that Devin Vassell can do that yet. At the same time, the units Chris Middleton is anchoring on his own, like those are like he's playing a lot of his minutes with Giannis or Drew when he's he hasn't played this season. We know that. Thank you, everybody. Uh, but like Devin Vassell very much would have to be the guy right now in San Antonio. We know it's Trey Jones, like that's who they prefer to have really oversee their offense when he's healthy. But can Devin Vassell then turn into the where it's like, oh, you trust him with maybe one mediocre creator around him to really jack up your offense? Where Chris Middleton is better than that, but like, you know, we're talking about, oh, he could have been Mikael Bridges three and D. Like, should we have been more looking at where it's Chris Middleton, who is way more than a three and D player? So just to make the comparison, Chris Middleton's age twenty two season, his first year with the Bucks. Now he was like, sort of the Pistons gave up on him, but sort of. <laughs> <laughs> literally did um he was a starter that year right this is 2013-14 looking at his per 36s percentages are a lot like Vassell's 41% from three but he's at 14.5 points four and a half boards two and a half assists so at this phase Middleton did not have Vassell's like on ball stuff his his facilitating you know all that and it's not like those Bucks teams were great yet right so like Giannis was not anything close to Giannis yet you don't get up to the Vassell's level of numbers what Vassell is doing right now until you get Middleton to like age 26 and the bucks were good by then. So, I mean, the Middleton comparison is legit, I think. And it's, it's kind of similar because similar size, 
just not like nuclear athleticism. Middleton is like relatively speaking, like not an athletic wing, but, and Vassell's got a little more of that. So yeah, that, that's a, that's an interesting comparison. I think there's a lot to that. We will close this out with the Utah jazz. So obviously uh, this is another kind of Lakers situation of like, you know, do they, it's just in the sense that we've belabored the jazz to this point. Like, is it real? Was the question forever. It's like, yeah, it's kind of real. We've we're, we're past that. Uh, the question I have is where will the regression come from? The obvious answer is you trade half the roster, um, but that's not happening yet. I, you know, at least, at least, you know, we got to get to December 15th for there to be, you know, just a little more activity. We're not going to see a bunch of trades right now. Um, the other reason where will the regression come from is the question and not, you know, when did they pack it in is like, it's too late. It's already too late. <laughs> Last time we talked, we were like, we, we were wondering how do they tank? Can they tank? Like when when they have to hurry up because they're running out of time. Did you see this stat from Kevin Pelton? So you go back twenty like the last 20-ish years and teams in his database, these are his proprietary numbers with Utah's preseason win projection, which he had them at like 34-ish wins, which was way higher than consensus, right? Looks pretty smart right now. Um, that start this hot with the Jazz's current record, they almost always win 50 games. <laughs> so they go on to win 50 for the year. The other thing is they almost always make the playoffs. They almost always win around. Like, so the, the Jazz have to go like 10 and 59 the rest of the way to even be in the conversation for, you know, the best lottery odds, which we've discussed are 14, like they're not that great. It can't happen. It's too late. It's too late. They've already won too much and they're not going to be able to change it. So where's the regression come from? For me, it's just like, there's a decent chance this winds up being a bottom five defense, which like, sorry, jazz fans. Like, I think the offense is great. A lot of it's sustainable. I think marketing awesome. They have a ton of like capable offensive NBA players. Opponents get into the rim way too often. Jazz are allowing, you know, they're 25th in that stat. Opponent three-point shooting, number five in accuracy, number three in corner three accuracy. I just like... And you go through the roster, you're really going to continue to defend with the lineup that has, for a lot of the game, some combination of, you know, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley, Markinen, Kelly Olenek, Colin Sexton. Like, none of those guys, except maybe a younger Conley, I think, had positive defensive reputations. And Conley, you know, it's not his fault, but he's had a couple bad playoffs in a row, couldn't stand for guys. He's older. So, the regression will come from the defensive side. The problem is the jazz already just seem like a team that if you don't do anything really are going to win conservatively like 46 games, like, and they could win significantly more than that. Like that, that's just what the stats, it seems crazy to me, but historically that's just, that's just where we are. <laughs> that's their start combined with what their preseason projections based on the numbers and the talent on the roster. It's like, it's too late that you can't, you can't tank it now. Sorry, guys. You missed your you missed your Wimbanyama window. And is that something they need to apologize for? That maybe that's the question. Like, how happy are you, Jazz fans, that this is the state of the franchise? And, and that's a serious. I Jazz fans were in my mentions uh, concerned that they wouldn't tank this year. And I think there was some fo- There was on our last YouTube video we tackled the Jazz. Uh, we did an extensive. I don't know what we were talking about, but it was an extensive dive. And people were mad that we were talking about the tanking aspect. It was a real debate amongst jazz fans. I'm at, I'm with you. 
we say it's too late. That's almost framing it as, well, then this is a bad thing. They missed their window. I just don't know if it's a bad thing because you own Minnesota's future draft and that team yeah. is sort of rickety. But I, if, if a fan or even if an analyst, and but I know there's like a disdain for the way national analysts, probably like us, will analyze individual teams. But I do also think it's fair to say if the end game is to be a sustainable title contender this season, in theory, I don't want to say hurts you, but delays that because this is not you're you're like, if you think that this is sustainable, it's not sustainable unless you go out, acquire a star to augment it. And I think that's to me, this that's to me where this is different. This is not, let's say the Pistons before yeah. they had Jaden Ivy or Cade where they didn't have all these extra draft picks. Utah has, has malleability in the sense that if they're just so much better and this, they win 46 games this year, it's not, Oh, we have to resign everybody. Yeah. Jordan Clarkson has a player option, but Mike Conley's partially guaranteed Malik Beasley has a team option. By the way, you could actually strengthen your roster if you want, rather than doubling down on what you already have necessarily. Now to me, I would default towards, I would have bottomed out, gone after the Wembenyama scoop, Scoot Henderson sweepstakes. Can they get Amin? Like, player like that. But the fact that they're this good already, it is too late. I just, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. There are, yeah, it can be damaging. You look at sort of the the one or two off-season success that Phoenix had um, with, you know, like the, where they, the three guards. They thought that was the great idea. Right. Um, but also just like, look what happened with the Nuggets. Like they trade Mello and they have that one of the most random 55 plus win or 50 plus win seasons that I can remember after that. They were still able to mine talent on the mark. They eventually, you know, you got Jamal Murray. I think he ended up being seventh, but like you were able to mine talent out of the draft and you got better a little bit more gradually, but you were still good a lot of that time. Like you were never truly bottoming out. I don't think this is a the worst. I, it's. It can't be the worst case scenario because you're fucking winning and it's right. been a joy to watch, but I don't think it's as I do believe there are some fans and I think it's fair who are concerned and would prefer the tank. I think that's, I think that's fair, but for anyone who thinks that this is actively damaging, that pushes it way too far for me. Even if you think there's like a transience to the way the roster is built, which the final thing I'll say there is, that's just the fact of the matter. Yeah. It's Ryan Markin is 25. Colin Sexton is 23. You just drafted Walker Kessler. What is Akbaji? But like between Talon Horton Tucker and Conley and even Jordan Clarkson, who's a little bit of like this roster is transient. Like it's, it's fine to say, but it's, it's also, it's really good. That's the thing. I think if you're a jazz fan and you don't really care that much about the rest of the league, you probably still know who Wembenyama is, but all you want to do is like two, three times a week, watch the jazz. This, yeah. this is great. This is great. You're happy with this. And like, you're happy with it as an alternative to the possible pretty unlikely promise had this gone the other way of getting a transcendent talent who, you know, might, might years from now be the best player on a championship team. But there's like so many ifs, but me <laughs> having no skin in the game as a jazz fan, the difference, the difference now is you, the, you asked like, how should they, should they feel bad about it? Or should, should this be viewed as like a mistake? If, if you're talking about a draft headlined by Anthony Edwards or Cade Cunningham or uh, Paolo Bancaro, even who's been great, right. Then maybe, maybe it's okay that they're not tanking, but I, I really think, and you know, this could be wrong, probably will be wrong, 
I just think Wimbanyama is someone that like whatever you have to do to maximize your chances of getting him, you should do it. Unless by doing so you like scuttle a, a, a potential like really deep playoff run or championship pursuit. Like if it's that or Wimbanyama, then go try to win two playoff rounds and see what happens. May, you know, try to make the finals. What Like do that. But if it's, we win 49 games, nobody really takes us that seriously. We might win a round and then the roster gets totally changed and all these guys are gone. That was a cool year, but I'd rather have a chance or my best chance at Wimbanyama or even Scoot Henderson because who's just getting totally under discussed as a really, really one of the best lead guard prospects we've seen in a long time. If he so, was my spicy take is that if he was like a few inches taller, they everyone would be smitten with him over Victor Victor Wimbanyama. If he were in any of the last three drafts, I think you could make the case that people would be like it's just Wimbanyama is a once in a whatever, uh, at least in the eyes of everybody who has an opinion about it. Just a just a transformational general all the Asianals. He's all the Asianals. Generational yes. inter international. <laughs> it's a t-shirt right there. All the Asianals. Uh but yeah, I just I, I get it. It's gotta be conflict. There's gotta be like a real conflicted jazz fan base. Uh, but I get I get I get either side. If it were me, I'd I would have wanted women Yama. But and, and look, if you're looking at the top two, it's assuming you could finish with a bottom three record. It's a 27.4% chance of landing in the top two. That is not insubstantial. Right. That's big. That's big. Yeah. Uh, that's all we got, though. So, boy, how long do we take? Woo, almost a two-hour mark. Um, thank, for, thank you, everybody, for listening to the only the Western Conference portion of our biggest questions. I'm sure Dan will chop this up somehow. God, I hope so. I don't know if I could listen to all this. Um, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll do the East next week. Um, thanks for listening. Remember, guys... Uh, or guys and gals, anybody in the Discord, however you'd like to be referred to. Remember to download, subscribe, comment, uh, interact with us, engage with us. Uh, we've got all of our socials, and you can join our Discord. Information for that's on the YouTube and podcast description. Rate us, review us, uh, give us five stars, give us like 14 stars if you can figure out a way to do that. Tell your friends and enemies. Um, I would like to close, as always, by apologizing to Jared Allen. And on behalf of Dan, and also me, because I like him too, Shout out to the one and only Frank Milliken. The solution to, we were trying to figure out how the Mavericks can be less dependent on Luca. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>